Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Opus Wealth Style Podcast. My name is Yvonne Watanabe. I will be your host. On with us today is a great colleague and partner of mine, Evan Wall. Evan, what's going on, man? How's it going, Yvonne? Good to be here. I'm doing great. Thank you. So Evan is going to be a much more regular face on the podcast going forward. Um, And for our usual listeners, we're doing something a little bit different going forward. We're obviously going to have our audio podcast, but we're also going to be recording it for our YouTube channel as well. In this particular episode, we're going to have some visuals and do our best to describe them. But if you want to take a little bit more of a look, feel free to check us out on the YouTube channel. The reason why we're doing a little bit more of a visual today is because we're talking about a really important concept of compound interest, right? And Warren Buffett famously said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And so it really is the basis for a lot of our planning. And uh, we think it's best to describe it through visual mediums. So we're going to do our best to do it for those listening in today. So as we start, Evan, why don't you just give the audience a little bit of insight into what compound interest is and and sort of how the compound curve works? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, there's actually a a second part of that quote, according to Google anyway, if it's accurate, we don't know. But compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. As we go through this conversation, I think you'll learn more about what we mean by what Warren Buffett meant by that. You think about it, every one of us has one lifetime compounding curve, okay? Last year lifetime. And if you if we just start from the basics and say you did not ever earn a rate of return, so you just saved all of your dollars under your mattress in cash. And if we graphed that out and you just you put another dollar in, you put another dollar in every day, and you graph that out, no rate of return, it would just look like a straight line up and to the right, Okay, what's called a linear growth. But then if you invest that money and get a rate of return on that money, then you're going to start to see a bend in that line, which now we'll call a curve, where in the first third of the curve, call it the maybe the first 10 years, you're not seeing much growth. We call that the accumulation phase of the curve. In the second third, the maybe 10 to 20 years, that's where you're starting to see some accumulation. So you're starting to see the the graph bend upwards a little bit. And it's really in the third third, the maybe 20 to 30 years and beyond, where you're really starting to see the curve just get steeper. And the higher the rate of return, the steeper the curve. And so what's important to know about compounding curve is the most of the benefit is on the back end of the curve. In the first third or even 15 years of the curve or you're accumulating assets, there's not as much compounding, right? But it's the last 10, 15, 20 years, that's where you're seeing the benefit, the eighth wonder of the world that Warren Buffett talked about. And so that's why you're always told to start saving early in life because you want to get to the back end of the curve. That's where all the benefits are. And so to the extent that we can help you stay on your curve and not take assets off of your balance sheet and have to start over, 
you're going to get to that benefit sooner. Yeah, absolutely. And just to even take the very basic look at what compound interest is, essentially getting interest on your interest, right? So right. if I have $100 in the bank and I'm getting a dollar's worth of interest at the end of the year, the bank gives me a dollar. But when they give me that 1% interest the second year, it's on the 101 balance yeah. in the account, not the original 100. So it's essentially getting interest on your interest and really like a snowball effect. Right. If you have a snowball rolling downhill as it continues to roll, it picks up more and more snow. The larger it gets, the more it accumulates. That's the same idea as it relates to compound interest. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned a really key factor here, which is sort of allowing the money to get to that last phase of the curve, right? Because that's where all the magic happens on this compound interest curve. Like it really is just time on the back end and how long have you spent accumulating and growing on the curve? There is no magic sauce to it except allowing your money to really get to that last phase, which is critical. Explain a little bit more about why that's important and sort of how you would to foster better growth onto the curve long-term. Unless you're winning the lottery, there's no way around it. The math is what it is. And so to the extent that we can keep our assets on our balance sheet continuing to grow, that's really the only way to get to the back end of the curve where all the benefits are. There's no shortage of life of like expensive life events, right? You save a lot of money for usually around your kids, right? So kids, bar and bat mitzvahs, their weddings, helping them buying a home, college tuition, of course, is probably the biggest one. And so you save for maybe 18 years or so for college education. And then you take all that money off of your balance sheet, send it to college tuition. And so what that means is it's not you're not just pausing the compounding curve you're actually having to start over right cuz that's just how the math works right so if you the money comes off your balance sheet now you're starting over so to the extent that you can keep your assets invested through these life events that's where we want to focus on and so really what it comes down to is opportunity cost <laughs> compound curve is nothing more than where is your lowest opportunity cost? For example, if you take a loan for anything like a mortgage or a loan against a, against some of your assets, the interest on that loan is your opportunity cost. On the other hand, if you have to sell some of your investments, some of your, let's say, non-retirement investments to fund whatever that liability may be, the opportunity cost is what that money would have grown to, the rate of return had that money actually stayed invested. And so from that perspective, it's the question is, which opportunity cost is lower? Is it the interest rate on the loan or is it the growth rate on the investments? But I hear that question very commonly with clients of, should I pay down my mortgage quicker or should I do something else with that money? Same goes for student loans, right? Yeah. It all comes down to interest rates, right? I guess I would put a little caveat for emotions are a little different, right? So people feel strongly about debt and what we should talk about good debt versus bad debt. But emotions aside, just from the math perspective, it's really just opportunity costs. Where is your money going to grow faster? And if you pay down your mortgage at three or 4%, there's a good likelihood that you could actually do better with that dollar, putting it somewhere else, as long as it can earn more than that interest on the mortgage after fees and taxes. Yeah, simply said. So for us, I have a 30-year fix at 2.75. So it's like free money, right? The, you, yeah, you know, and so 
every additional dollar, there's there is a zero point zero percent chance that I will ever pay off my mortgage faster than yeah. I need to. Zero, especially with inflation. It w- yeah, it's free money. So every additional dollar that some folks would have thought to put towards the mortgage all my bogeys is 2.75. If I could go get anything above that rate of return out in the market over a 30-year period, average 30 period of time, then I will make money on that investment. So the delta is the growth there. And I think when we have those conversations, that's always my sort of analogy, right? The story behind that. In in the same token, if you have a 29% credit card rate, you're paying that thing off as fast as you possibly can because it's as if you're getting... 29% rate of return on that particular piece of debt, right? But you bring up a really good point of the lost opportunity cost, what something actually costs. And we're big believers in sort of the protection space as well, right? Mm -hmm. Having a conversation about protecting this compound interest curve and what that lost opportunity cost could be in the future. If you don't have the right auto insurance, for example, you get sued. That money coming off your balance sheet really stings. But it's what that future asset could have grown to long term, right? Or college costs me two hundred thousand dollars, but it's really not what the two hundred thousand dollars costs. It's potentially what that two hundred thousand dollars could have meant on the back end of that compound interest curve. Maybe that's three, four, five million dollars on the back end of your curve, depending on how much time you let that money sit. That lost opportunity cost is extremely interesting. There's no shortage of threats to, to a compounding curve. Market volatility is obviously one, right? Investment markets don't always go up. Real estate markets, we've learned, don't always go up. But it could be a sickness or injury, a lawsuit. You get sick or injured, not able to work, and now you're reliant on your company benefits for disability insurance uh, or for income. How long is that going to last? Or are you still going to be able to continue to fund your curve? Or are you going to have to start taking assets off of your balance sheet? And so it's just, you know, everything is it boils down to how can we foster and make sure that the growth of this curve is continuing? Yeah. And part, so part of the strategy here is to utilize leverage in order for you to continue to remain on that curve. Again, it's whether or not the asset growth or the cost of money through leverage, which one is cheaper, right? Is that the decision that you're making? Yeah, but there's a lot that goes into it, right? So there's, first of all, there's good debt and bad debt. And I find sometimes people are, too scared of debt in general, too scared of maybe even good debt. And some people are not scared enough of bad debt, right? So bad debt, it's all comes down to interest rates, right? So if you're carrying a balance on your credit cards, unless it's an introductory 0% rate, that's bad debt. You want to pay that down immediately as soon as possible. Typically, good debt is things like anything with typically lower interest rates, mortgages, student loans, interest rates have come up recently, but typically those are what's quantified more as good debt. And so when we say leverage, what we mean there is allowing your assets to stay invested and using other people's money for X, right? Doesn't necessarily mean it has to be for college or anything specific. But for example, if you have an investment account and you don't necessarily want to sell the investments because you think it's going to continue to perform really well, maybe you use those investments as collateral go to a bank and say, hey, bank, this is my asset I want to use as collateral. Can you give me a, a line of credit? Very similar to uh, identical to a home equity line of credit. You're yep. using in there in that scenario, using the equity in your home as the collateral. And then they're giving you a checkbook that you can then use for whatever you want. So that's what we mean by leverage. But you have to be careful with it, right? You have to understand the interest rate nature of the loan. Is it a fixed or variable rate? Because if interest rates go up, 
or continue to go up? How is that going to impact your finances? And so you want to make sure that the interest rate is low or lower than another opportunity cost and that the interest payments are not too burdensome for you. If the interest payments become too burdensome for you, it's not going to make as much sense. And so you need to make sure that you're maintaining enough liquidity or just proper financial balance and not over leveraging yourself, but leverage can be used very effectively. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also sort of who has control over the asset itself, right? So if you're leveraging through margins, say an investment account, you have to be extremely careful of whether or not the bank can sell your asset because it's not performing well in the market, right? Is there variability there or home equity line of credit? What are the terms? I mean, I think we're very much in favor of utilizing uh, life insurance, the leverageability of a life insurance, of a whole life insurance policy to help. It's similarly to like a home equity line of credit. Again, your asset continues to grow even though you've leveraged and borrowed from that to go create wealth in another space. Many real estate empires have been created utilizing lines of credit. Yeah, that's right. And the reason we like a line of credit on cash value is because it can is contractually cannot decline in value versus leveraging your investment account. As we know, markets can go down. And so if markets go down, you get a margin call. That's why you have to maintain enough liquidity and just be very aware of what are the rules around around the loan. But yeah, it's important to understand all the options that you have as you go to make the decisions. In in terms of what you're utilizing the opportunity for, again, some of the real estate investment empires out there have been built on leverage. But again, the underlying investment that you are making on the new opportunity, you also have to be extremely careful with, right? So if you are buying an investment property or buying one or two or three different investment properties, you have to be pretty careful of how much liquidity you have in other places that if your tenant decides to not rent that place, do you have enough cash on hand to help support the debt payments? I think just being extremely careful and knowledgeable of what leverage you're bringing onto your balance sheet and making sure that you're able to address it regardless of what's going on, I think is critically important to actually seeing the success long-term. Would you say the same? Yeah. You don't want to think of your finances in independent silos or making independent decisions with any financial product or strategy. You want to think of your finances as an ecosystem, as your own personal economy. And every decision you make in one area is going to have a ripple effects all the way through every other area. And so it's that's just why it's so critical that maintain f- proper financial balance, have proper protection, maintain the right amount of liquidity, and are very aware of what your cash flow is. Yeah, absolutely. It's also one of the reasons why for many people, the conversation is trying to open up liquidity from illiquid assets when they have the opportunity. So for me, recently, I opened up a home equity line of credit because rates were low. And we opened up the line of credit so that when there's an opportunity, I'm able to participate in that opportunity. Yeah, I don't want to have to go get capital and be late and miss an opportunity if you know I either have to sell an asset or I have to wait for home equity line of credit to get approved or whatever it might be. I want to be able to move extremely fast to have those opportunities. And I think access to la- that liquidity and being prepared has served me really well and many clients, you know, really well because it's unfortunately it's not always easy to go get 
the assets, right? It's not always easy to go get the leverage depending on what's going on in the market or interest rates are rising or banks decide not to lend as much as they used to, where the terms are now 95% loan to value when it used to be 75. Those types of things are dictated by outside forces. And I want to make sure that we're always prepared for opportunity. Yeah. You want to do those things before you need it. And, and it doesn't cost you anything, right? You open up that home equity line of credit. Did it cost you anything? $100, right? It just sits there until you need it. Uh, always, a, always a good practice to yeah. create more liquidity for yourself. It's interesting. I think today you brought up an interesting point earlier about sort of balancing the opportunity with whatever the interest rates are. There are going to be times that are better than not to borrow and to lend and to leverage. And what's the opportunity, again, that you're investing in that makes that yield better than whatever the, the interest rate was? And it may not always be about growing assets. It could be about managing debt. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's a great with, point. With interest rates get higher than they were at the beginning of the year and likely to continue. If you're going to go get an auto debt, auto loan at some higher interest rate that you could personally manage yourself, you're going to be better off lowering that interest rate. Right. Yep. So you always want to keep your debt at the lowest possible rates. And whether it's leveraging it through a home equity line of credit, cash value line of credit, wherever you're going to get the lowest rates, you want to pay close attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting. I think today folks are freaking out a little bit about the mortgage rates increasing. But what's amazing is when I first started in this industry, if you had a sub 6% 30 year fixed mortgage rate, it was like gold. Yeah. It was like gold. When folks our parents' age bought their first homes, rates were in the 18%, right? So keep it all in context because a leverage opportunity at say 6% is not necessarily an awful interest rate across the history of mortgage rates. You know what I mean? It's I think the narrative out there is you better hurry up because mortgage rates are skyrocketing. Well, they're skyrocketing compared to all-time lows right. that are recent, but historically a 6% mortgage rate is extremely low. Yeah. If you could put your personal financial situation in a position to be more nimble relative to what's going on in the economy. It's not It's not always going to be historically low rates. It's not always going to be historically high rates. They're going to move throughout, throughout your life. And so give yourself optionality. What are the recommendations to have people have as much optionality as possible? I think it's what we talked about, right? It's create liquidity for yourself through home equity line of credit, even before you need it. Open up a cash value line of credit even before you need it, even if you don't use it, because you know you, you never know when that when that opportunity will come. G- generally, more liquidity is better, right? So when I find people putting all of their savings into retirement accounts that they don't have access to for 20, 30, 40 years, they are far less nimble than someone who has access to capital on a more favorable basis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think going back to our conversation, it's really important to understand the terms of whatever asset you're leveraging. Yeah. You know, a lot of folks think that I could loan from my 401k, which is absolutely possible, but you have to really understand sort of some of the terms there, right? You have to understand does it make sense to borrow from the 401k? Okay, what's my repayment rate? And it's all after tax dollars that you're making the repayment with, and it's going to be taxed again at ordinary income levels on the back end. Right. And if you happen to separate employment from your employer, what happens to the 401k? Do they make you repay it back? Does it get forces of distribution? How does that operate? I think knowing the rules, again, leverage is incredibly valuable as it relates to letting your assets grow on the compound interest curve, but you have to understand the rules of what you're leveraging. Yeah. Is that fair? Absolutely. Do it responsibly. No, is this a fixed rate or a variable rate? 
And if rates go up 200 basis points or two full percentage points, what does that mean for you? What would the new interest payment be? And would you be able to handle that? Um, you got you have to be able to answer those questions before you utilize leverage. Yeah. What are the other things that you consider or what else sort of for you is extremely important when you look at the compound interest curve? Again, it's just time. It's just, it's time. It's staying invested. It's protecting your, not only what's on there, but your ability to continue to fund it. And there's no magic around it, right? You just stick with your plan. And you know, I find that people who waver on their plan more often, those are the ones who uh, tend to come off and on their compounding curve. So find a plan that speaks to you that you're comfortable with and stick with it. And to the extent that you can protect it, foster its growth uh, and stay invested. Yeah. I think that's incredibly valuable. And I think going back to our last podcast where we talked about sort of cash flow management, right? I think understanding the true, the potentially the long-term costs of something that you purchase may make you change your mind on whether or not you think it's worthwhile. If I want to buy a car and it costs me $80,000 for a car today, that you might say, oh, that's more than I thought or whatever it might be. But that $80,000 off your balance sheet today might be worth, like I said, depending on where you are on the curve, could be worth a million dollars in retirement, right? So is that car actually worth that money or not? It's not just about sort of consumption today, but but potentially what that future asset could have looked like had you just chose a different path. There's That's opportunity cost, right? Yeah. Do you buy the car for 80,000 or do you buy the car for 50,000 and that 30,000 is the opportunity cost? Is there is there something better that you can do with that? Yeah. And so it's not just, I want the audience to understand it's not just immediate affordability, but it's really, there are choices that we have to make. Mm-hmm. And, and it's total. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't make the purchase, but just understanding what the potential future cost of that purchase may be can absolutely put you in a position of strength to make the decision that you find is best. And you might say, "Hey, listen, I don't. Based off of what I'm doing, I'm willing to make that sacrifice long term, or I'm not." Yeah. And I think those just having that awareness is critically important. Like all of our planning, right? Awareness, know where you are, know the path that you're on and what are some of the pitfalls or threats that need to be mitigated. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any other things that you want the audience to take away about the concept of compound interest that we haven't really talked about or any things that you think you want to make sure you add? I don't think so. It's, you know, I want to keep it simple for everybody. It's staying invested, stick with your strategy and it's the back end of the curve is what counts. So start saving money and investing as soon as possible and work with a professional to make sure that you're investing appropriately, not taking on too much risk, both within your investments or if you utilize things like leverage. So always work with a professional, but stay in it for the long term. Don't try to... This is not a get rich quick scheme. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that you brought up a really good point previously about just making sure that everything is really well coordinated, right? You want to understand like all the different moving pieces of what assets are leveraged, which ones aren't, which ones are paying for others. You want to understand the pieces on the board and make sure that they're working together and you're not overextending yourself or you're not missing out on opportunities or you're not open to lawsuit or sort of underprotected. So I think those things are extremely important as it relates to this. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Evan, as always, incredibly valuable. I love having a conversation with you. And I think the listening audience certainly got a lot out of it. To you, the listening audience, appreciate the time. We will be putting this up on our normal podcast channels, as well as our new YouTube channel to watch it visually. And uh, thank you so much for subscribing. And please click subscribe below if you haven't subscribed yet. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. 
click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This material contains the current opinions of the presenters at the date of recording, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries and such opinions are subject to change without notice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not issue or advise with regard to real estate, home equity, or home equity lines of credit. Yvonne Wantanabe and Evan Wool are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities LLC PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Evans' California Insurance License Number 0H04936. Compliance Approval 2022-14612 expires November of 2024.